Are you ready to take control of your wealth and design the life you envision for yourself and your family? Welcome to Wealth of Insight with Austin Wittenberg from Wittenberg Wealth Partners. Austin guides you through the entire planning process to help you build a plan that seeks to protect your financial future. He empowers you with creative investment opportunities and planning ideas to help you understand and achieve your long-term goals. It's time to gain confidence in your financial future. Now, onto the show. You may keep hearing how tight the real estate market is and how tough it can be to get the house you want. In this episode, Austin Wittenberg gets the lowdown from Chase Carter on how to make an offer that sets you apart. Chase is the founder of Chase Carter Real Estate, which suggests to me, Austin, that he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, you know, I think you're right, Patrice. I've known Chase for a long time, and he's someone that I definitely lean on when clients have real estate questions. So I thought we'd have him on here to give us some tips and tricks on how to actually get a house, you know, a little update on, on the market here. So before we get into it, Chase, why don't you take a minute and just Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got, uh, you know, to where you are here in the real estate world. Sure. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to discussing this with you. So a little bit about myself. I got my real estate license going on my sixth year. So about five years ago and kind of started it as a side gig, to be honest. Um, I joke around here in Utah. I think there's 26,407 licensed agents in the state. And so I say, yeah. (laughs) So I say, you know, very low barriers to entry. It's pretty easy to get your license. We always joke around and say, if you swing a stick in a big circle, you'll probably hit 10 realtors (laughs) because there's just so many of us out there. But, um, I started as a side gig and still had a corporate job and, and, uh, started seeing some success and fell in love with it and, um, just kind of took it from there. And now it's my full-time gig and that's what I do. And, and that's my profession. And so, you know, it's kind of funny when I got into the, into the game, as they say, I felt like, man, this was a crazy time to get licensed. <laughs> you know, this market's too crazy and it's probably double, tripled or quadrupled how crazy it is nowadays. So yeah, you had a few years where it was semi-normal at right. least. Exactly. So, well, yeah, you know, thanks for coming on. So why don't we get into then just a quick update on where things stand in the market, you know? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm going to give some national statistics and and how they kind of line up with Utah statistics. Obviously, I mostly work in the Wasatch Front area from Utah County up to I live in Weaver County. But as you said, you know, we we go way back. And so uh, most of my network is down in Salt Lake County. So I'm I'm, I pretty much just live on I-15. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so the market, as as you know, unless you've been under a rock, is a seller's market. It's super hot. Average nationally is that people are getting four offers per listing. That is not normal. That's the highest number of offers ever right now is is what we recorded, especially for that was for February. And it's the highest February of of what we've ever seen. And that's that's interesting to me because honestly, hearing client experiences and hearing them try to buy houses, you think four is a low number relative to what some experiences are. Right? Yes. I would say in Utah, we're probably a little higher. We're probably closer to six or seven, to be honest. Utah is a, a kind of a bit of an anomaly with, with our growth here, you know, the, the Silicon slopes, things like that has really, really increased our buyer pool. You always hear people moving from the coast, from California here or from Oregon, all those places. Well, I've, and I've seen it. Yeah. If you want to try to buy a house in California right now, I can't even 
imagine what that is like. Yeah. I have a, I have a close friend who just bought in the San Francisco area, you know, one of the hardest places in the country. And he was thrilled to get a, um, about a 1700 square foot townhouse for 925,000. Yeah. Absolutely thrilled. <laughs> that, that's so interesting. even so, though we that's feel maybe like all you need to say here. about the yeah. market, right? Is that, yeah. So, right? Um, so lastly, I just have uh, the days on market average. So the days that the, the property sits on the market before going under contract into a pending status is that also probably sounds a little high because that's a national number in Utah. It's probably closer to 11. And then right now in Utah, to give you an idea, there are 2,147 active homes for sale. To put that into context and perspective a little bit, a healthy balanced market between buyers and sellers is probably closer to 6,000 homes for sale. And we're at 2,000. Wow. So not a lot of inventory, as they say. We're actually selling more houses than ever. They're just moving fast. So the inventory levels are low, uh, but they're selling so quickly that you know we can't keep the the stocks, the shelves stocked. <laughs> Why do you think the inventory is so low? What, you know, is that, you know, COVID where, you know, it's two years old now at this point, right. initially that was maybe scaring people, but why now is inventory staying so low? So the biggest factor is that the pool of buyers we currently have is the millennials and millennials are the largest group of Americans in history. The second largest group was the baby boomers, and they were around 28 million people. The baby, excuse me, the um, millennials is around 32 million. And millennials are at the age now where they're trying to buy homes. And so the demand has just skyrocketed. Also, a, a big factor in that is that rates were so low with COVID. And so everyone knew it was a good time to buy. It's funny, you know, when COVID hit, there was a lot of folks that thought, oh, I'm not buying we don't, you know, we've ne- we're in a, we're in a market. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, a lot of people thought it was going to crash. There was going to be foreclosures. There were, you know, forbearances happening with, with mortgages. The exact opposite happened. Rates dropped. Everybody tried to buy and our inventory just started lowering, lowering, lowering. So, um, and, and, you know, to kind of segue into my next point, we, we are not close to satisfying the demand of millennials yet. It we're the data says, we're probably two to three years out on that. So this type of market or a similar market can be expected for the foreseeable future. So what do you do then if you didn't buy? So I bought my current home December of 2019. Couldn't have timed it better. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we locked in the price in June of 2019. So, yeah. you know, we couldn't have, have timed it better, but I have a number of friends and clients who didn't get in before March of 2020 now they're been waiting for those things you like, you know, like you mentioned that we thought were going to happen, mm-hmm. recessions, foreclosures, like not getting in. And now home prices have, you know, nearly doubled in, in yeah. some cases. So what do you do? You know, how do you, do you buy now because the demand is still there, like you're saying, or how do, what are, what types of conversations are you having with your clients that are looking to buy homes now? Yeah. So I think there's a few different ways to look at it. One thing I share with people is, uh, it was funny enough, I actually bought in March of 2020. So right when it was all going down, yeah. <laughs> was I was terrified, right? But it all worked out great. In Utah alone, this is actually insanity, but our year over year appreciation for real estate is 18%. So if you didn't buy, 
most likely the property you would have bought is up 36% now. Just that makes sense. Yeah. yeah that like, and, and, and also that's why people start saying this is not sustainable. That type of growth isn't, and it probably won't stay at those rates, but that's what you missed out on. And so I say, you know, if you're in a financial position to buy, rates are still good. They're around four now. For a while there, they're around two and a half to 2.75. That was unbelievable. So if you didn't buy, I hope you refinanced. If you didn't refinance or if you were a first time buyer, I, everything that I know says you should still jump in. It really does. And it, it seems insane, but I promise you, if you talk to a hundred people who have bought a home in the last eight years, they felt like they overpaid when they bought it. And now, yeah. you know, now it's appreciated. It's, it's just, it's a very natural, oh my gosh. You know, if you would have told me when I was 20 years old, that, you know, I'm going to have to buy my first house at $500,000. I would have told you you're crazy, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> and yeah, that's, I, that's I try having that conversation with my dad and, and he's always, well, my first mortgage was 18%. Yeah, he owed more on his house after owning it for one year than he did the we know when he paid for it, right? Yeah. So, and you know, we send out a weekly email to our our client base, and you know that if you look at national housing over the past like thirty years, average appreciation is you know five percent a year basically. Yeah. But this these last few, just bad timing, right? For buyers, just Mm -hmm. missed it by that much, and now it's you know, and I think. I've always wondered, and you may have some perspective on this, if that's one of the reasons that supply maybe is lower is because people are thinking, oh, I can sell my house, but where am I going to go? I can't, unless I change zip codes or downsize, does it even make sense to sell? Yeah, that's a great question. And what I tell people is there's two things. If you are looking to downsize, obviously it's a great time for that. And it's also a great time if you're looking to upgrade your home because the current home you live in is never going to be valued higher, right? Than right now. And, you know, if you were to list your home at, at 500,000, we, we joke around now that that's just a starting point because it's going to sell for more than that. And on average in that price range, it's probably going to sell between 40 to 50,000 over that asking price. And so, you know, you're, you take the, the sale of your home and you can roll it into a, a bigger, nicer home or obviously a smaller home if you're downsizing. But I think what's important is if it's something you can afford and it's something you're comfortable with, the whole I'm overpaying feeling can go away because in real estate, you know, the, the mortgages we take are, are most often 30 years. And so if the market does drop, let's say you buy you know, in, in April of 2022 and by August, everything's gone down 15%. The wrong move is to sell. The correct move is to ride it out. Because real estate always, always, always comes back. And in our market cycles, which we're in the thick of it right now, so it's kind of hard to have some perspective, you can't see it ever coming back, right? If it was to drop. It always has, and I believe it always will. And so I just tell people, look, if it's a payment you're comfortable with and, you're, and you feel good in your job and all that, and all that stuff, you have a, a stable budget, you're going to be fine. Yeah, from that standpoint, it's no different you know, then a lot of the investment portfolios we're managing as well, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there is volatility that you buy in, whether it's high or low over 30 years, those things tend to average themselves out a little bit. Right. And from my perspective, you know, from a, you know, I know like when we're having investment discussion with clients, we don't really even tend to consider the 
primary home as an investment. It it's a utility. You got to have it. You got to have somewhere to live. Don't worry so much about whether in, you know, if, if your house priced every day, like the stock market, you'd probably go insane. Just like right. people who are always <laughs> checking the market. Yeah. You know, if you just saw those daily fluctuations, but the utility you get out of it, cause you got to have somewhere to live and you just, as long, like you're saying the payment and you know, there is some, do I do 20% down or 10% down or three, you know, whatever. And, you know, you may be able to, to speak to your current buyers, but 20% down now seems like it's almost off the table. You can't save money fast enough to even mm-hmm. get to that point. 10% almost feels like a more reasonable number. You know, what are you seeing trends there with, with your buyers and, and down payments and yeah. So, so first time home buyers, it's definitely a little bit more difficult, right? They've saved for, for gosh, sometimes as much as 10 years and they might have $10,000. That's not going to go very far in this market. But if you are selling your current property and rolling it into another property, 20% becomes a lot more doable. Maybe not the smartest thing to do. Maybe 10% is better, but it all kind of depends on how you want to use your money. Right. And you're better at telling people what to do with their money than I am. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not well, a mortgage that, guy, but at the same a, time, oh, yeah. go ahead. Well, it's really, you know, it's funny that you think well, I'm a financial advisor. I'm going to talk to people about the stock market all day. That's only like, I don't know, 20% of our conversations. The rest of it is real estate, educating kids, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And with a lot of our clients, whether it's some of our older clients who are trying to think, well, how in the world might my, my kid just graduated college He's making 60 grand a year, whatever the you know average starting salary is. How's he? He's never going to be able to buy a house. Yeah. So how do we that we're talking about gifting the money to kids or you know, just helping the real estate conversation because it's gotten so crazy, has just become such a huge part of the advice we're giving and running different scenarios and all of these things. Because it's there's no right answer, no right solution. Yeah. Everybody's got a little bit different situation, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of experience I just had with a, a client. Uh, this last weekend, we actually closed their deal. First time home buyers, you know, their mark, their, uh, excuse me, their budget was up to about 415,000. They were very smart and conservative. They were pre-approved for 500,000, but really only wanted to spend 400. And I like those kind of people. Yeah. Those are the very kind of smart, that right? Financial like they advisors love. <laughs> they weren't maxing everything out. And, and actually they, it's a husband and wife. They don't have any kids. They both work and they actually just use the husband's income. They didn't even use the wife's income. So they're very, very financially conservative. So they told me, we started looking at homes and I said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but if you want to spend 400,000, we need to look in the 360 to 380 range. That will be, those will sell for around 400,000. And once they kind of adjusted their expectations, we found them a nice little town home in Layton. And ended up getting the property for about ten thousand dollars over asking price, uh, which wasn't crazy. It was three hundred ninety thousand. And I'll, this will kind of go to my next point: is like, how do we win offers? Right? Here's what we did. It's all about the terms. So we only went ten thousand dollars over the asking price, which doesn't seem it's not a lot. It's it's okay in that price range, but we started throwing other terms that made it more appealing to the sellers. Number one we did $5,000 in earnest money. That's the good faith deposit you put down after a few days of being under contract. Half of that, we made non-refundable immediately. 
meaning we aren't backing out, right? right? We gave the sellers confidence in the fact that we're going to stay in the deal. And then we also agreed to, because we were over the asking price, we agreed to pay $5,000 over the appraised value. So what that means is when you're getting a loan, an appraisal happens, right? The appraiser comes in and gives his opinion, his or her opinion on what the value of the property is. And then that's what the lender is willing to loan on. Well, with all of these prices skyrocketing, it's very common for appraisers to give a low valuation. For example, you know, a $350,000 house, you're under contract at $400,000. It's most likely not going to appraise for $400,000 because it was priced based on comparables. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. And I don't want to get too far off topic here, but from your standpoint, like when, the, when you're setting a price for your sellers, like from my standpoint, I'm like, if you price it at 350, but you know, it's going to sell for four, why don't you just start it at four? Yeah. Right. And, but there's gotta be, nobody does it that way. So there's gotta no. be just the marketing of creating the bidding war. You know, what's the, you know, they, they say a, a correct price is the best thing for a home. I believe, I do believe in slightly underpricing it. Let's say a correct price for that, for that same home was 375. I would probably price it at 369. And that's just to create more awareness and to get people in there because their budget might be up to 375. And so they're going to look at it because my job as the listing agent is to get as many people in that house as possible so that the sellers get the most money. But what's hard about even pricing homes right now for, for realtors is you just don't know what people are willing to pay because they're paying such outrageous numbers. So I always think you know, a death sentence for a listing right now is overpricing. To give you an example, I saw down in the ballpark area, down around 2100 South in Salt Lake City, I saw a 1300 square foot home, two bed, two bath, priced at $1.2 million. And the- the That sounds like San Francisco is what you're yeah, talking about, the, right? Well, the homes around it sold for 400 recently. And so that house is never going to sell, you know? And, and that's just, that's like an extreme example. But- Pricing a home correctly, what we say now is the market will dictate, like if you price it where you're supposed to, the market and, and the bidding is going to dictate where it's going to sell for. Obviously, there's a ton of factors with its condition, how nice it looks, how great are the pictures, sure, all those sure. things, right? So, so yeah, pricing a home actually is pretty difficult right now, but I always say you can't underprice a home, but you can definitely overprice. Yeah, that is interesting. So, And you know, you're saying with with that example you were sharing, paying over appraisal, like at that point, you're just making up the difference in cash, right? Yes. You're not going to be able to get the loan for more than the appraisal amount. So you've got to be cash heavy, which is why sometimes that 20% may not make sense because then you're out of liquidity, right? You can't, you have no flexibility when you get into that bidding war. Exactly. So in this particular property, we offered uh, 390,000 it appraised. We said we would pay 5,000 over the appraised value. So of course it appraised at 385,000. <laughs> and I was like, weird how that works. Yeah. Uh, and that's appraisers. I feel like are starting to do that. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like they're throwing darts as well, but they do their job. They're, they're, they're honestly, I should probably have an realtors. appraiser on the podcast to, yeah. to figure out the logic there. Cause it, and then oh, you it, should let me fight them. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's yeah. <laughs> no, we uh, there's always just like long. It's always the battle. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, we hate them. <laughs> yeah, um, just because they can they can kill they deals. Kill for us. it. Yeah, yeah. Over two thousand dollars or whatever, right? Like yeah, it doesn't have I mean, to be major. 
but I had a, the same appraiser in a two week period last year, appraise a property for $50,000 under our price and then $70,000 under our price. Wow. That was an extreme example. I actually turned that guy in and I was like, come on, man, what are you doing? <laughs> and he actually ended up getting kicked off the panel he was on long story, but anyways, you know, appraisers, they, they've got a tough job too. I'm, I'm, it's, it's tough for them because technically like we say that they, they lag about three to six months behind because they can only go off what's been sold. Right. Right. And so they're lagging a little bit behind and how fast everything's appreciating. It's hard for them to keep up. So going back to this particular property, they had the $5,000 they were needed to get, they were gonna have to get some gift funds from some family to do that. And they were willing to, but I went to the listing agent and said, Hey, you know, you guys are getting a ton of money for this home. Are the sellers feeling charitable? Will you guys meet us in the middle? And we'll just lower the purchase price by $2,500 down to $3,875. And he said, you know what? We're, we're fine with that. So that's totally fine. We'll, we'll do that. You guys have been great. You know, we, haven't, we didn't request any repairs. We didn't do any of that. And so they, they met us in the middle. That's pretty rare nowadays. But for me as an agent, it's like my job to ask, right? And I, and I did. Um, and, and it ended up working out. So it is a term to, you know, to, to talk about crafting winning offers. It, it's going to come down to terms like that. And it's my job as an agent to, to speak to the listing agent to find out what do these sellers need? Obviously, price is always going right. to be number one, right? What is going to net them the most money? But do they need a lease back? That's very common right now where sellers will sell their home, but then they want to rent their home back for 60 days, which is the maximum you can rent back your house on a conventional loan because after that, it becomes an investment property. So you can, you can rent your house back from closing 60 days and that gives you time to go find a property. So as a buyer, are you willing to not move in for 60 days after you close or up to 60 days? Are you willing to have some flexibility? That's a great term right now people are using. I also use earnest money, making it non-refundable. And, and the way you do that, because I actually don't recommend that for everybody. You have to be confident you want the house. Yeah. What, I, what I tell my buyers right now is let's do basically our own little inspection when we do a showing. I've showed up to open houses with contractors and done an inspection <laughs> and I've won properties because of it well, because we're, we go in and we say, look, our inspection's done. Here's $10,000 in earnest money. Keep it. We're good to go. Yeah. We know what this house needs and it's a little crazy, right? But well, that's... I don't, I don't need to <laughs> mean to stand on like the realtor soapbox or just the, why having, why paying somebody to do some of this stuff, right. In the form of commissions or whatever, mm -hmm. whether it's the realtor or whoever professional, those are the things that matter. And those are the yeah. things that get it done. There's crazy stories. You know, I have some close friends who they offered 20,000 over appraisal on a property and they lost because it went for 40,000 over appraisal. Like in that, in a situation like that, you're just out of luck there. There's always yeah. somebody that's got deeper pockets than you. Yep. But having somebody that can talk to the other realtor, figure out what, where the soft spot is or what some of these little things that the average person's just not going to do, right? They're just sending out offer sheets and offering on every house on the street to try to find something. Yeah. But there's, there are ways to get it done. Like you're mentioning. Yeah. And we, you know, we can, we can wrap it up here in a minute, but to, to kind of like, go further into that. What a lot of people are doing is what they call love letters, right? Where you write a letter to the sellers and you, you express your undying love for this home and you will not let it go to waste. And because 
and, and those are, you have to be careful with those because you can run into some fair housing. Issues. Oh, interesting. When, yeah. so we sold a home in that, the, you know, like I mentioned, we sold our home in 2019 to move in to the current home. And we got, even then people were doing love letters and I did feel bad not picking the people who sent the picture of their kids and stuff. And they would look, I still picked the person that offered the most money, Yeah, but <laughs> hey. it, you know, I did feel, feel bad that yeah. I didn't pick these people even though they, you know, they probably made all that stuff up for all I know. But. Yeah. And, and people, you know, they have feelings and, and for the most part, people don't want to sell to investors. They don't, they would rather sell, you know, especially if they've lived in a home, this house that I bought, I, it was the original owners. They lived in it for 30 years. They wanted to sell it to a family. And I did, I wrote a letter on this one myself. Yeah. And I was like, you know, we're looking for a place to raise our family. And this is a great place for us. And they were like, we chose your offer because of your sweet little letter. And we didn't include a picture because you can, you, like I said, you can run into some fair yeah, housing issues, sure. but man, I've also, I've also lost out on deals before with buyers where somebody wrote a love, you know, love letter and said, this is for my cute little family. And it was an investor posing <laughs> and they, they flipped the house. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like crazy markets brings out crazy people and ethics can kind of start to go out the window. But for the most part, I think people are trying to, do what's right at the end of the day. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, to kind of put it simply for me, there's three key points to went to crafting a winning offer. Number one is going to be your price. Number two is going to be your terms. That's going to include all the contingencies and things like that. And then number three is going to be timing. Can you allow these sellers to go find a property? Can you close quickly? Can you wait? Whatever the sellers need, you're going to have to play ball in their, in their ballpark. So all right. Well, I think that's a perfect place for us to end then on those three tips. So where can people find you, follow you, hear more about your process and approach? Sure. Yeah. So I have a website, chasecarterrealty.com that, you know, you can find all the properties here, especially in the Wasatch front. You can reach out to me. I'm pretty active on Instagram. My handle is hilarious. I don't know why I chose this handle, but I did. It's chase underscore a underscore Saris, like a dinosaur, chase a Saris. It's just kind of stuck. And every time I've thought about changing it, I just keep it. So um, differentiator, right? There's yeah, probably already. So uh, there's probably already a different Chase Carter. That's Chase Carter realtor, right? So you might as well do something a little different. There is. I've already, I've I've actually talked to him. So (laughs) he's out in Tennessee. There we go. So great. Well, you know, I appreciate you coming on today. If you know the listeners have any other questions or want to learn more, please check out our website, wittenbergwealth.com, or you can text me. 801-839-7056. Please remember to subscribe to the Wealth of Insight podcast and share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to the Wealth of Insight podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Stratos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Stratos Wealth Partners and Wittenberg Wealth Partners are separate entities from LPL Financial. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wittenberg Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.